Welcome. This is William Evans, and you are listening to a Living World Conversation with Katrina Blair from Durango, Colorado. Katrina is the founder of Turtle Lake Refuge, an organic land stewardship community with the mission of celebrating the connection between personal health and wild lands. Welcome, Katrina. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show, Will. Oh, it's good to have you back. Did you receive some rain this summer? We did. Yeah, what a treat. What a blessing in every way. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Well, the the critters and the plants here have been very happy with the rain and now the snow that's falling. And um, the rose hips this year have been prolific and fat. They've been huge this year, like the mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, so it's been the same down there. Yes, very much so. Talk to us a little bit about how you harvest wild plants. I have this intimate feeling that they're one, you know, that we're one family. But even in our own family, we want to be respectful and, and we have to communicate and ask permission. So there's this first um, experience of just being grateful and then asking permission for being able to interact with the plants. And then often there's a feeling of, oh, yes. And so then I just take what I need. And the whole while I've just had this deep appreciation feeling as I'm harvesting. Well, and my experience is that often you're singing as you... Uh, and I do a lot of singing. <laughs> ...are, are <laughs> yes. in this process. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's just listening, too. Sometimes I'm singing, and then sometimes I'm just listening. Right. In August this summer, you called me from a ridge between Durango and Telluride. Uh-huh. And you yeah. told me that you were up, you were up high... But there was so much to eat up there, you were getting fat. <laughs> That's right. Was there anything else about that walk you can share with us? Every year that I've been walking, I mean, I've been on walkabouts for many, many, many years, but the last 13 years I've headed to Telluride for the Mushroom Festival. And every season it's a little bit different depending on... I do sometimes take different routes, but I, over the last few years or maybe last many years, I've kind of found the ideal route. And so I visit the same places over and over again. And every year it's different. Some years it's abundant in this food or this fruit or this plant, and other years not so much. And this year just happened to be a really abundant year in the strawberries and certainly the mushrooms, you know, and the, the rain really reflected in the woods and many factors. But there was a real abundance this year, unlike it was the prior year or the year before. It was pretty thin then. Last year was very thin, yeah. But this year, have have you ever gathered so many rose hips before? Well, I have, but they were so fat this year that I would have to say that they were the fattest I've ever seen them. All right. And then in September, you led a wild food canoe trip with That's a class, right. class of students. Yes. Tell us about that trip. Well, it was very low water because it's September, and but we were in 
canoes, so we didn't need as much water. And we we did a really beautiful stretch of river on the Animus that you could drive in 15 minutes, and many people do every day, you know, drive this section. But we dropped into an entire magical world of the riparian area, and we spent two days in that in that section. And it was a meandering river, and we camped on the side. You know, we had a place where we could camp on the beach and um, enjoy the wild abundance. We integrated a lot of wild thistle and burdock. We made a burdock root soup, and we harvested wild quinoa from the lands quarter seeds and a lot of the um, thistle seeds. And we found mustard greens that we integrated in. And it was just a magical time of it's kind of a timelessness as the busy world goes to and fro. We're sort of in this different world of just a corridor of wildlife and water birds, kind of in the own river time. Well, and, and my experience is that once you get out of the car and load up and push off at the beach, you enter a whole different realm. Yes, you know about the river very well. <laughs> That's right. How many students? Eight. Yeah. I was their teacher. But are, are <laughs> oh, you... these, were, these were more adult students. I had one seven-year-old, but otherwise they came and really have been spending the last two months with me at the Turtle Lake Community Farm and participating in an entire program. These so, are people who were in a in a summer study program with you. That's right. Yeah, with me. And it goes through the month of, this year it's September and October. So it's a couple weeks till it's coming to its close. All right. Have you had a frost? We did. We sure did, yeah. So the Exciting cor- couple days the of cor- harvesting. <laughs> yeah, the dryland corn. Yeah, the dryland corn that we planted with these high school students came up, and it taught me so much. It gave me such inspiration because we planted it quite late. I'm actually thinking it was in July, and we planted it with students, you know, and we weren't very equipped exactly with, you know, it was a bit of a spontaneous, hey, let's let's plant this dryland corn, where this year, this coming up year, because it came up with no water, you know, just from our little effort, I'm so excited for this next spring to really plant it well and plant it early so that it actually has time to go to fruit. Before the frost, we harvested all my corn. Uh-huh, good. And uh, I had I had some blue kernels, mm-hmm. some red, and some white. Oh, beautiful. Did they cross-pollinate with each other? Well, I assume they are. Uh, yeah, but they're all they're all the Taos uh, corn uh-huh. from Robert Maribel. Okay, yes, we did actually plant some corn in our main garden that did receive a lot of water, and it did it very well. It's this hopey blue corn, but it's actually more uh, rainbow corn. It kind of is a purpley reddish blue. Yeah, I have some that way. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned to do is uh, take off the kernels and put them into a salad. 
Oh, when they're tender, yes. And uh, they're they're wonderful in a salad. Yeah, they're my favorite sweet treat. Yeah, when they're tender and young, like that. Once they dry, of course, it's harder. But um, yeah, that's that's fabulous. This is William Evans, and you're listening to KDNK in a Living World Conversation with Katrina Blair about wild food and particularly about wild rose hips. So when you harvest rose hips, how do you, uh, how do you eat them? So when I'm out in the field, I find this year they just were one of my mainstays of food out in the woods because they were so big and so abundant. So I had them, they would be my breakfast, and I would pick them as I'm walking and put a few in my pocket and then open them one at a time. And as I open them, I would scrape out all the seeds and then just eat the outer skin, which is had all, has all the juice and the meal and the delicious taste of kind of a sweet and sour flavor, more sweet and sour. But it would just be eating them in the moment on the spot. And you graduated from Colorado College in what year? I graduated in 1991. In 91 with a degree in biology? That's right, yeah. And before you graduated, you had a final oral exam, and it it involved a question about rose hips. Yes. Can you tell us about that examination experience? Yeah, so I I was in my final oral exam, and I was with my with several professors, and they, somehow, we got around to talking a little bit about chemistry and biochemistry, and there was a question that they proposed, I don't know if it was a question, or maybe they just commented, and then I had a comment that didn't agree with theirs, but it was about rose hips, and they said, I think this was the question, is that the the ascorbic acid in rosehip is exactly the same as it is created in a laboratory. Like you can extract out the ascorbic acid in vitamin C and you can create the vitamin C in a laboratory and it's exactly the same. Yeah. Anyways, and I 100% disagreed. <laughs> and I said it's definitely not the same. And the reason is because the vitamin C in the rosehip is structured in the vital life force of water and it's vibrating life and that vitamin c is it may look the same under a microscope but it is absolutely not the same of a synthetically created laboratory vitamin c that isn't structured in the life force and it doesn't have that water element surrounding it so i disagreed with them and they, we got into an argument in my, the middle of my oral exam, <laughs> and they could not agree with my, you know, my my take on it all. And I realized when I left that oral, oral examination test that I really didn't know if I was going to pass because it didn't end with any kind of an agreement or an affirming on any level. It was a complete disagreement, <laughs> and they were the boss. You know, they had all the power. But I also had to just speak honestly what my intuitive understanding of a vitamin C and the integral quality that life offers that's just so different than a laboratory creation. And then tell us the outcome. 
Well, I did pass. <laughs> I was lucky enough to pass. They did pass me, so they didn't have it out for me. And I don't know if they, you know, if I had enough credit in some of the other questions that they let this one slide. <laughs> but anyway, I luckily did pass, <laughs> and I got my degree in biology. Well, I think that's a very, I think it's a profound story in this time because of the inclusivity that they extended to you. And, and they had the maturity to listen. They communicated to you that they believed synthetic vitamin C is equivalent to what you consume in your rose hips. But they didn't block your graduation because you had a different perspective. Yeah, that is right. And over time, I'm interested in what you gathered from that experience, and I, I put it in the context of what you did in the oral exam was totally consistent with the way you had been raised to be true to yourself. Mm, right. And so you spoke your truth with that kind of clarity. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a hesitant argument. You were, you were at full power saying what you had to say. And they, they came out of the experience and allowed you to speak from your own intelligence, grounded in your, in your continuous connection to a living world story within you and around you. Yeah. Well, in this time, that's quite an extraordinary gift. Yeah, it is, and it'd be. It's interesting how, you know, when we do have this knowing, and it. I find when I eat wild foods over time and that consistent relationship with plants that builds, there's a knowingness that we don't know how we know. We don't understand fully where it came from. It isn't coming from a book or a scientific study. It's a knowingness by being in relationship with these other brilliant life forms and and that exchange of time dwelling in the wild together and having experiences and building this relationship that evolves over time, that's where the knowing comes from. It's like an experiential observation, but not only observation because there's a a real connectivity in the knowing. And so to communicate that from the perspective of, well, it has to be an observable, scientifically proven route to get your information from, that's a, it can, we consider, I consider that, certainly one viable way to get information, but not the only. And if we think it has to be the only, then it's very limiting. So as well as being a source of organic vitamin C, you know rose hips contain additional benefits. Yes. And yes, that, yes. And that knowing that you're talking about is real and profound for you. It's a very felt, embodied sense. Yeah. And that has all kinds of ramifications, and I'd like to spend the rest of our time kind of exploring that. So go into as much detail as, as you want. But from, from your life experience, you've concluded when you eat from the land and ingest a wild plant, a wild rose hip right from the earth, you become the landscape at a cellular level. Right. Yeah, there is, there is this experience that, I mean, we've heard these different quotes, you are what you eat. And so there's certainly something to that. But there is a experiential embodiment 
that I've had. That's been my understanding in the journey of eating wild foods is that when I do eat them, when I put them into my mouth, there is a resonance that my body starts imitating. You know, it starts resonating back in the certain frequency that the plants are putting out. And that frequency is, I mean, it's an essence of nature. It's a, it's a, it's coming from this plant that has lived its whole life in the earth and outside, and it's being connected to the stars and all the microorganisms under the ground. And so when I ingest that, I instantly start to vibrate. We are part of that plant now. It starts to become my cellular um, makeup. It starts to regenerate my, you know, it actually becomes my nutrients. But it's not just the broken down chemistry to become my nutrients. There's a life force, an energy frequency that isn't found in a plastic bag or in a laboratory um, test tube. I mean, that has its own frequency, too, of course. But this life force feels pretty universal in when we're ingesting wild foods. There's a continuum from your digestive experience to your... I would call it, I guess, your social experience, your community experience, Mm -hmm. with the interconnection and intelligent network of exchange with the natural world and with the community of Turtle Lake Refuge. Right, right. And actually, I was just given this book, um, an author named Anthony Williams. People have really appreciated some of his writings recently, but he wrote this book on eating fruits and vegetables, herbs, and wild foods as the primary focus of nutrition these days. And one thing that he said in that that I really appreciate is that he sees how with when we're eating wild foods, we're able to evolve with the plants and with the landscape and with our entire globe. So there's something about the plants are evolving because they are a a brilliant, sentient life form that is in in exchange with all the elemental changes in our climate and our, you know, our weather patterns, everything like that. And so when we're eating from that source, especially fresh, we're getting to evolve with our entire globe. But if we're eating from a bottled or a packaged or, you know, a laboratory-created food sources, there's no evolution that is global on this live living force place. So it's a very different experience. And so there's something powerful about eating wild foods that help us evolve in this current time. Yeah, you've told me that the plant wisdom embodies in us physically and also emotionally we align with the clarity and joy of just being alive. Yeah. That life force energy is about the most joyful thing I know and when I tap into that through eating the wild, fresh foods of the earth, it's a spontaneous, intimate experience of that that is really joyful, <laughs> truly joyful. And in addition to being nutritious, we're taking in a, a source that contains the brilliance of how to adapt to change. That's right. So this is certainly a, a time of change and not a time necessarily of the inclusivity that you experience. There's a lot of divisiveness. But what are the plants telling you in this time? Uh, Well, the plants are asking us to be resilient. 
And, you know, as we find ourselves as humans, we're developing land and we're disturbing soil and we're compacting. That's just how humans live. When we're in cities, that's just what we do is we travel, drive, build. And so the wild weeds that are coming up around the corners of our disturbance are nature's way of dealing with change in a resilient way. We got to keep the ground covered. We can't let there be bare ground or the topsoil will blow away. The minerals will, you know, dis- distribute themselves away and things will dry up. So nature's asking these plants to come in and fill up the gaps. And then what's so beautiful about that, they're so resilient and adapted to change that when we ingest them, that intelligence, that was that wisdom and that resiliency comes into our way of being and living and thinking and designing our lives. So there's a real important relationship right now that the plants are communicating, hey, get resilient with us, because <laughs> change is happening at a pretty fast pace. And so we need that resiliency right now. Well, it certainly is. How's it manifesting in your life? Well, on a personal level, I lost the water on in my well this year. Right. And I've lived on this land since 92 and this is the first year I've had no water. And my other neighbors up up the canyon a little up the valley, some of them have lost their water many years before. So I know it's probably likely a one-way trend at this time. <laughs> Not just the oh maybe it'll come back next year. I think it's probably gone. And of course I'm open to it coming back, but the trends are moving in that direction of drying out. And so I've just entered into an entirely new intimate relationship with water where I go to Junction Creek. I've already been in a place where I harvest my drinking water from the creeks and the springs nearby, but now I go there to harvest my water for watering my house plants or I'll catch all the rainwater from my roof as much as I can, not all of it, but I, I've been really highly focused on rainwater catch as well and I'm just absolute minimal use. It's, do I brush my teeth or do I do the dishes? <laughs> you know, there's just such a sacredness to every drop of water that I actually feel really grateful to be in that relationship with water now in a new way. Wow, and and do you see ways that that manifests in your relationships? Well, my relationships with water and then my relationships with water in, I mean, even if I go to another place, because we have a good well still on the other half of our farm, which is the newly acquired land. So that water is still flowing, but just because it's flowing doesn't mean I wish to be unmindful about every drop as sacred still. So there's a new, you know, I instantly got trained by the water to be so careful, and now I'm encouraging that same kind of training for our entire community, even though there is still flowing water in some places. I don't want to take it for granted because it's gone in a very close location nearby. What about your community? What about Durango? Durango is also, you know, I think the whole southwest area, we're in a drying trend. And and as we think about it, our beautiful, beautiful earth is like a big sponge, like the entire globe in a way I think of it. There's many different, you know, environments, of course, but but we love when our earth can be like a sponge and absorb the water into the biosphere, kind of like there's this, this water sphere that's 
that creates life, and that's the trees and the plants and the humans and the you know most animals. We all exist in this certain uh, layer where there is water exchange. And when the earth is acting more like a sponge, then there's a lot of abundance of water exchange. But as we pave roads and as we clear forests and as we use so much combustible heat in our daily living, that has an effect, and it has an effect in lessening the sponge quality of the earth. And so instead of it absorbing into the earth, it's hitting the pavement and running off or um, hitting the compact ground and running off. And so that we still may have the same amount of water in our in our bio, in our whole um, ecosystem of Earth, but it's not staying in the biosphere of life as much. Like it's not being absorbed in the sponge; it's running to the oceans and then maybe having these big storm events in different places. Anyway, I'm just finding that very fascinating, and um, it's it's one of those things I'm observing. But also, how can we create more sponge-like qualities around where we live? And that would be planting trees and keeping the soil well mulched and um, being really mindful of, of course, our use of water and our, and our disturbance of, of that land. Yeah, wow. Thank you, Katrina. You're welcome. You've been listening to a Living World Conversation about wild rose hips and change with Katrina Blair from Durango. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening. <laughs>